0: This
1: is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. And I think for the first time ever, my intro video has actually been relevant because I'm joined right now (laughs) by Russell, aka Texas Bentley. Thank you for joining me in the metaphorical trenches. (laughs)
0: <laughs> thanks germ it's uh, great to be here i'm glad to know you i'm glad to be working with you for to make a world a better place
1: i always i always introduce my guests uh as uh, joining me in the trenches but you really are in the trenches
0: well i'm in the city of donetsk uh, which is the capital of the donetsk people's republic which uh used to be part of ukraine and uh there's a real, real war going on here, as there has been for the last eight years. Um, you know, people are talking now about the Russian invasion, uh, as as we call it here, Operation Z, like Zed. Um, but, you know, first of all, you know, the West, the governments, and the uh, mainstream media, you know, of course, you know, the one basic thing that you can literally say that's always true is that everything everything they say is a lie. Um, Even if they were to say something that was factually correct, it would still not be true because they would only be saying it in order to deceive you. And so all these uh, propagandists uh, for eight years have been talking about the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But now since the last week when Russia really did invade Ukraine or has brought its military to liberate Ukraine uh you know now they're all saying oh now it's the invasion you know and stuff like that but they've been saying it for eight years you know there's an old joke here you know uh Crimea also had a referendum in 2014 and uh they had a a a vote and uh they decided to go back to Russia there was already 20,000 Russian soldiers in the um in the crimea based on a uh, long-term treaty that russia had with ukraine to maintain their uh, naval base at sevastopol so there wasn't any invasion the 20,000 soldiers russian soldiers were already there and all they did was maintain order and make sure that the uh, referendum where the people voted to either stay with ukraine or go to russia was actually conducted peacefully and the joke and so since then, you know, Ukrainian has has not touched Crimea at all. I mean, they've they've done a few like terrorist attacks, you know, blowing up some electric wires. They did cut off the water supply to to the peninsula, which was actually uh, uh, an act of war and a war crime and a very serious problem for a while. Um, that water's been turned back on now. This past week, by the way, but uh, you know, there's a joke. You no, know, but. And whereas they didn't do anything to Crimea, you know, they've been bombing Donbass, where I'm at, the Donetsk and Lugansk People's Republics, you know, on a daily basis for the last eight years. Um, And the joke is, uh, well, um, well, why are you bombing? Why are you bombing? You know, the guy asked the Ukrainian general, he says, why are you bombing Donbass? And the Ukrainian general says, because the Russians are there. And then the the guy says, well, why don't you bomb Crimea? And the general says, because the Russians are really there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Russell, uh, so a lot of people down this side of the world don't know who you are. Would you mind just giving me a bit of background? And, and of course, how you got to where you are.
0: Sure, sure. Uh, I was born in Austin, Texas in 1960. Uh, I grew up in a upper-class family. Um, we weren't oligarchs, but my parents were very wealthy. I had a, you know, a, what you'd say, like a very upper-class upper uh, upbringing. But I was always the black sheep of the family. I, I lived in Dallas, Texas when John F. Kennedy was murdered in 1963. I was three and a half years old, but I remembered it because stuff like that, you always remember, even as a kid, I knew something big had happened. Um, you know, I grew up in the 1960s. It was the Vietnam war, the, uh, civil rights movements. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and, you know, I, I, as a kid, I just, I looked at, at things and wondered, you know, if what everybody around me, I mean, where I lived in Dallas, it was in a small, it's an, a small enclave. It's like, uh, It's like Beverly Hills is is in Los Angeles. You know, only rich people live there. It's very exclusive. And the most of the people, almost all the people there, they had like live in servants and, and we did too. black people. Uh, I had a a maid named Vera and, uh, she lived, I mean, all the houses there, they're big houses. And then they have like a little apartment on top of the garage and that's called the servants quarters. And that's where Vera lived. And we had a guy named Lonnie that came by and, you know, changed the oil on the car, took care of the, you know, trimmed the bushes, mowed the lawn, stuff like like that. And they were black and I loved them. I really loved them. I, you know, I hung out with them. I got along great with them. They, they loved me. They took great care of me. They taught me a lot of cool stuff, but yet, you know, all the white people as a kid in in grade school or you know what I'd hear from my parents and their friends and stuff you know they were totally racist you know i mean and they you know they had black servants but yet you know they you know they they, they considered you know black be- people to be inferior and i didn't like that and I, I i didn't agree with it and so i grew up wondering about you know if there was a different perspective that might even be more true and correct. You know, the Vietnam War came along, you know, when I was like 12, 13 years old, I was going to the library and I was reading uh, books by Ho Chi Minh and Che Guevara. You know, and I, <clears throat> and I understood <clears throat> that, hey, you know what? Maybe not only is the United States not like the wonderful savior of humanity and not the good guy, maybe they're the bad guy. I mean, certainly from a Vietnamese or Cuban perspective, they would be the bad guy. And in fact, were the bad guy. And so, of course, I was the black sheep of the family. Had a very turbulent youth. Um, Joined the U.S. Army when I was 20, served three years two overseas in Germany. Got an honorable discharge. Uh, I was a good soldier, a sapper, a demolition specialist. And, uh, in my, uh, in my early thirties, I started smuggling marijuana up from, uh, Mexico up to, uh, Minnesota made real good money doing that about 50,000 bucks a month. And at the same time, I was also one of the main leaders of the marijuana legalization movements in the United States. I'm one of the guys that changed that law, and I'm also proud of that because, you know, it's like when I talk to Americans these days, I say, hey, name one thing that the U.S. government has done in your lifetime that's made life better for you. And they're like, well, shit, I I don't know anything. I'm like, well, at least they legalized weed after we pretty much (laughs) made them to but uh, I ended up getting busted, uh, got sentenced to five years in prison for uh, 500 kilos. They didn't catch me with it, but, uh, you know, that's what I ended up having to plead guilty to. Um, and uh, so then, of course, uh, you know, I read Nelson Mandela's long walk to freedom in prison, bro. I read uh, Antonio Gramsci's uh, you know, prison notebooks in prison. You know, I mean, so been there, done that. <clears throat> no bullshit. I escaped from prison for eight years. What? And uh, yeah, I escaped. It was. I mean, it wasn't like I had to dig a tunnel. It was a, a minimum security prison. Right. But I did get away. I'll send you the document, bro. I can show you. <laughs> uh. That's so, amazing. You I got here.
1: Keep going. Keep going. I'm listening. So I've, they, got my, you know, I've got my, I've got my Jack Daniels.
0: Snitched out. Yeah. I'm, I'm drinking all on it. Let me <laughs> It's just shy. But you know, I finally, I ended up get you know, getting snitched out, finished up my bit, finished up my paper. And this is, you know, this, so now we're into the two thousands and uh, you know, it's, you know, the whole nine 11 deal which as a demolition specialist, which were trained by the US government, when I saw those buildings falling down and absolutely without question, the third building, building number mm-hmm. seven, you know, I was trained on how to blow up buildings and make them fall down exactly straight into their footprint. And, you know, I mean, you know, you don't have to be a demolition specialist to know that that's what happened, but you know, As a demolition specialist, I can tell you that that is exactly the only, you know, physically possible way that that could have happened like that, you know. Mm. And so, you know, then I'm like, well, shit, man, the the government's our worst enemy, you know, and then comes Afghanistan and Iraq and the, uh, you know, the WMDs and the little thing of poison, you know, and all that stuff. And I'm like, you know, these guys are just, you know. They're, you know, they're the enemy of humanity. And then came Libya. And dude, and you know what? I had respected Muammar Gaddafi for many years because I had friends that worked in the Irish Republican army against British occupation and Gaddafi had helped them in their struggle for freedom. And so I knew I had read his green book and I knew what the, you know, what he was doing there. I mean, you know, Libya had the highest quality of life in Africa, you know, even above South Africa, you know? And I mean, it was a successful country and he was as the leader of that country, really doing things to help all of Africa. And I admired that. I mean, you know, I really admire, he was was one of my personal heroes. And when he was murdered so brutally and when the nation of Libya was, you know, taken from the pearl of Africa and turned into a genuine slave market and Mad Max hellhole, dude, I mean, I was enraged. I I began to hate my government because they were exactly the ones who did it. And uh, I did some small direct action. Uh, I climbed up on a 15-meter-high billboard one day or one night right before dawn. Wrote, fuck NATO, in about six-foot letters. You know, it was a military. It was like a U.S. Marine recruitment poster. And I wrote, fuck NATO. It was was up there for like 10 days and about 50,000 people a year, I mean, a day drove by it. And I got that picture. I can send it to you, too, bro. I will. I mean, people... (laughs) They'll say, Oh, this guy's full of shit. He's not, you know, he didn't go to prison or get break out of prison. I'll send it to you. And you can, if people say this guy was bullshit and you say, look, here's the billboard, here's the thing where it says 2,848 days escaped from prison from the official Bureau of prisons, dude, I don't, I don't have to lie, dude. I already did it, you know? So I did that and I felt better about that for a little while, but then I saw the Maidan happening, you know, the same thing, Victoria Newland with the cookies, and you know all this, and you know oh, free Ukraine, and da da da, and I knew exactly what it was. And then in the early summer, it was May second, two thousand fourteen. There was the Odessa massacre, and you know uh, Ukrainian neo Nazis bust in from Western. Ukraine came to smash the protest and all this stuff, all these crimes of the early years of this war were exactly. And specifically on the orders of Joe Biden, you know, he was the point man. And he basically told him, he said, all right, look, you know, after they installed the government and you understand when Newland and Pyatt, the ambassador had their famous intercepted phone call where she said, fuck the EU. Remember that? Okay. Well, that wasn't, you know, this and everybody's like, Oh, You know, here's this diplomat saying fuck the EU. So what? The important part of that phone call was that she told Jeffrey Pyatt, the ambassador, okay, I want this guy in this position, Yatsenyuk for prime minister. I mean, she laid out the whole new government, the names of the people and the jobs they were to get, and every single one of them ended up in those jobs. It wasn't anything about democracy or anything like that. It was... A foreign country came in, overthrew a democratically elected government and then put their puppets in power in exactly the jobs they wanted. So in May 2nd of 2014, people were starting to protest in the east of Ukraine against this coup d'etat and puppet government. Biden told, you know, the Ukrainian puppets and their Nazi attack dogs, he says, you have free reign. Do whatever you want, but just get, smash these protests, you know. Go go do to these people in Odessa something that will make anybody else that's, that wants to protest too scared to do it. And so a couple of hundred people were protesting. They were camping out with tents in front of the trade union building in Odessa. You know, It was like an Occupy Wall Street type deal, you know. And then all these uh, bust-in... Uh, football hooligans with steel pipes and you know uh brass knuckles and shit come in and start beating the shit out of them i mean like really beating them you know seriously setting their tents on fire and stuff and then the doors of this trade union building you know mysteriously open and somebody says run into the trade building you'll be safe there in the union building and so all these protesters ran in there what they didn't know and i've interviewed a guy that was there um there was other nazis waiting inside the building and all the people that protesters that ran in there all of them were murdered and they say officially the count is like 40 45 or something um but it could well could have been you know five times that many but these people You know, and so then all of a sudden fires start like in front of the windows and in front of the front door and stuff, you know, the building wasn't burning, but there were fires inside the building. And then later when they went in and and looked at the bodies and you can see, and there's photographs, anybody that, you know, doesn't, you know, thinks I'm, you know, exaggerating or something, you know, fake news can look it up for themselves. All these bodies that were burned it wasn't from the building burning what these nazis did is they grabbed these people and they doused them with gasoline and they set them on fire
1: this was in 2014
0: yeah 2014 uh, may 2nd and i mean you can look at these bodies and you can see i mean they're totally you know charred and burned to death above the belts, you know but their blue jeans are still blue you know the the laces in their sneakers are still white you know and they were just poured gasoline over their head and lit up.
1: Just sorry, before you continue there was hundreds that's
0: of people. And you know, when I saw that, I'm like, you know, this is you know, these are, are real Nazis, you know, these I mean mass murdering Nazis, exactly yeah, just be, what they are.
1: Yeah, just before you continue, um I've seen that term come up quite a bit, uh, in the last few days. Uh when you say Nazi, what is meant by that? I just want I just want to be clear on this.
0: Yeah, exactly. And this is something too, then this is this is information warfare. This is like language manipulation. You know, you get all these punks in the in the coffee shop that you know. You know, if they they order a, a cappuccino or something, and it's cold, and they say, "Hey, you Nazi, you made my coffee too cold," or something. You know, no. This what I mean by Nazis is that in Ukraine during the Second World War, when the Heil Hitler German Nazis occupied Ukraine, there was a group called the Organization of Ukrainian Nationalists, the OUN, it was run by a guy named Stefan Bandera. And they were against Russians and against communists. And when the Germans came in, they said, hey, we wanna work with you guys, we wanna fight Russia, we wanna fight communists, we wanna fight Jews, you know, and they're also completely racist, of course. But, and they joined and they, the the uh, the Bandera Nazis in Ukraine, committed atrocities so horrendous that even the German SS were like shocked and disgusted, you know, and I'm talking about this guy, Bandera, uh, Stefan Bandera, Ukrainian. You can look him up. There's photos of him wearing the SS Nazi uniform in Ukraine, under you know, with Germans in the second world war. So, you know, it's not like saying, oh, you know, it, it, the soup Nazi or something from Seinfeld. No, I'm talking about real guys with swastika tattoos that say that they are the Herrenvolk and, and that, you know, Russians or other races are Untermensch, you know, subhumans and they're, you know, they're they're good for livestock or to be exterminated like insects or for slaves and that's it, you know. So, when I say Nazis, I don't mean, you know, like some, you know, college dude with a Che Guevara yeah. t-shirt, you know. I'm talking about real, you know, Nazis who torture and murder prisoners, who who shoot at civilians, you know, who who commit mass murder, you know, on a regular basis. That's what I mean by a Nazi.
1: Okay, so go on so with the anyway, story. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So May 2nd, 2014 was the Odessa massacre. One month later, uh, a Ukrainian Air Force jet made an airstrike on the uh, administration building of the city of Lugansk. Uh, It fired about a dozen rockets, unguided rockets. There was no military installations there. There wasn't even hardly any soldiers there, but there was a lot of civilians. Eight or 10 or 12 civilians got killed. Uh, One of the civilians who got killed was a woman named Inna Kukaruza. And uh, there was a a short video was made after the attack by a guy just documenting it with his cell phone. And there was a photograph that was made, uh, you know, screenshot taken from that video. And this woman in a Kukuruza, uh, maybe, I don't know, early 40s or something like that. She's sitting on the ground outside the administration building next to her legs is both of her legs are blown completely off and she's still alive for about one more minute and this guy comes up and the photograph is her looking at this dude taking a video of her as she's dying and as the story goes you know she asked this dude that was videoing her she's like hey can i borrow your phone i want to call my family and she died before she could call the family but that photograph it's iconic you can find it on the internet in five seconds flat but when i saw that photograph it was like she was looking at me Saying, what are you going to do about this? And I said, I'm going to go kill some Nazis. I'm going to kill the motherfuckers that did this. And I'm going to defend people like her. And that's what I've done. You know, that moment, I knew for sure I was coming here. I told my family. I told my boss, told my girlfriend. And dude, I had a great, great life back in Texas, bro. I was a salesman, an estimator for a tree service company. I drove around talking to people, giving them bids for jobs. I worked from like 9 till 3.30 in the afternoon, five days a week, made a thousand bucks cash every Friday. My girlfriend was 20 years younger than me, yoga instructor. You know, uh, I had a great house, had a good friend. We shared a house together had a cool life. You know, I, I ate steak two or three times a week. It was all good. You know, I mean, it was, it was a completely comfortable life, but it didn't really have any meaning for me. And when I saw this woman murdered, I said, there's the meaning in my life. I'm going to go I'm going to go stop the dudes that did this and I'm going to save and help the people that, you know, and at this time you understand it was, it was still, you know, very much the big Ukrainian army against the very, very small citizens militia. You know, I mean, at this time, you know, guys here were like, you know, with a shotgun and maybe, you know, a machete or, you know, a baseball bat, you know, against dudes in tanks, you know, and I mean, and, and the dudes in tanks that Biden told them to send to the East, they, you know, they came here and at first the civilians said, hey, man, we're, we're also Ukrainians. You're, you're coming to fight against your brothers. And they stood there and they put their hands on the front of the tanks. And they were run over and crushed or they were, you know, shot by AKs, you know. And so, you know, and so they tried every way peaceful to avoid the war. But, you know, a Nazi is not like a human being. I mean, there's something that's gone wrong they have no human compassion. They, you know, they love to kill. That's, that's what, I mean, it's like a mad dog or a, a poisonous snake or something, you know, you can't reason with them. You can't, you know, uh, c- appeal to their humanity or compassion or decency. They don't have it. So, I mean, force is what they love. So force is how you have to deal with them. So the people here rose up, you know, and I, I decided I was coming here. you know, I, my plan at first was to get here by the end of August, but it took me a little longer. I ended up getting to Russia, um, at the end of November, and I flew to Rostov on Don. And, uh, I got to the city of Don. I crossed the border, got to the city of Donetsk, uh, on the 7th of December and I mean, I got off the bus, and within minutes, you know, I was hearing (laughs) heavy shelling. I mean, as as a veteran of the U.S. Army, I know what real heavy are. You know, it's not like firecrackers or grenades or something. You know, I mean, you know, this was like one fifty-two millimeter artillery that, you know, when it hits the ground, it blows a hole you can park a couple of cars in. You know, if it hits a house, you know, the whole house is gone. So I was here for about a week. I had a friend that I'd been in contact with, you know, through the Internet, who was a uh, Italian journalist that was here covering the war. And uh, so I came here and I'm actually the hotel that I came to my first night in Donetsk is the hotel that I'm sitting in right now. And uh, because my wife and family, I mean, my wife and I, we have, a house that's very close to the front lines and the uh, internet and electricity and water and stuff don't work too well there now. So we've moved to the city city because, you know, I mean, my job as a journalist, you know, I have to have, you know, my computer is my weapon now, you know, so I have to have access to it, but I'm actually in the same little, you know, hostel that uh, I was in on my first night here in Donetsk. And uh, so I spent two weeks in like very, very rudimentary uh, basic training in the town called Iznavata. I joined the Vostok Battalion, which was the first citizens militia organized military group. And uh, on December 31st, 2014, at dawn, I arrived at the Donetsk Airport uh, on my first time at a combat position here. And it was the Iversky monastery it was a church and actually a convent, a convent, but they call it a monastery. And, uh, you know, the first thing I saw when I got out of the, out of the van, you know, I mean, it was like, there was, you couldn't see outside the van when you're in it. And so I'm driving blind or riding blind in the back of this van. And then I get out and the first thing I see is this blown up Russian Orthodox church. And, So that made me know right then. I mean, and plus it was right in the middle of a giant, like two or 3,000 grave graveyard. So I get out, I'm looking at this blown up church and I'm thinking, wow, what's this big field? And then I realize, oh, I'm standing in the middle of a graveyard. And at that time, you know, the Ukrainian army still held the the new terminal of the Donetsk airport and also the control tower. So to the west and to the south, of where I was, you know, there was Ukrainian Nazis. They called themselves the cyborgs, you know, and they were 400 meters away. You know, snipers, artillery, mortars, you know, RPGs. Did they also uh, have the
1: swastikas? Was, did they have the swastikas as well?
0: Of course they did. Of course they did. I mean, I mean, not, not all Ukrainian soldiers are Nazis, but the Nazis control the military and the administration and the most, you know, hardcore, best equipped, you know, highest level of training, like the Azov Battalion, i O V. I've seen
1: those I've seen those you know, photographs all over social media.
0: Uh-huh. Well I mean those are genuine Nazis right there, you know, I mean and they're you know they're they're professional trained killers, you know, and that's that's what they are and what they do. And, uh, us and our Russian buddies are getting ready to put them all out of their misery. And, uh, and it's, and it's been about time, but I served for about a year in the, uh, Nova Russian army in the Vostok battalion, then my unit, which was called the essence of time unit. It's a communist volunteer unit, um, the international communist volunteer unit. And, um uh, then we were transferred from Vostok to, uh, the, uh, Han battalion Spetsnaz. And, uh, I mean, because we were, we were a very highly regarded, you know, uh, well-respected unit. We served in some of the biggest battles and in some of the hottest positions and we did our job, you know? Um, I mean, there was a battle at the monastery in January on January 17th, 2015, uh, there was 12 uh, Sudburymeny guys, 12 of us against 200 uh, Ukrainian Army, private sector Nazis, uh, Polish mercenaries, and we held that position against you know 12 of us versus you know 200 infantry, BMPs, tanks. Three of our guys died that day. Everybody that was there got wounded, and three died. Three of my good friends died that day, at that position. But we held it. We held that position 12 against 200 so you can see that we weren't uh you know just uh, play soldiers or uh kidding around at all you know we we, we, were, we were ready to die where we stood you know to fight against nazis and that's what i came here to do and i have done it then you know so eventually we were transferred to a spetsnaz battalion and i was 54 years old when i got got here i'm 61 today um, you know, but, you know, we started doing this Spets and training and, you know, and I was in pretty good shape after, you know, six, eight months on the front, but, you know, I mean, I don't know if you ever seen any videos about, you know, uh, Russian Spets was, but, you know, I was a little bit too old for that, you know? So I had started doing some, uh, some videos about, uh, what was going on about the war also some humanitarian aid. And uh, and I was very very good at it. The first video that I made was uh, about this woman named Anna Tuv, who lived in the city of Gorlovka, and she was married. She had uh, three kids, and uh, her and her whole family were home one afternoon, and just out of the blue, just random shelling, a couple of uh, heavy artillery, 152 millimeter artillery shells hit her house. And uh, maybe a little flick of the electricity there. We're still on, right?
1: Yeah, we should still on.
0: Okay. Good, good. So, Anna Tube was at home with the family. All of a sudden, <laughs> two shells. One on the house, one right behind in the backyard. Her husband, Yura blown in half in half. Her 11-year-old daughter, Katya, also blown in half. Uh, Anna Anna Tube's left arm was blown off above the elbow. She had to put a tourniquet on herself and then dig her three-year-old son, Zahar, and her two-week-old baby, Milana, out from under the rubble of her house no. which was now completely destroyed. No. And dude, I mean this is I mean I'm not making this up. Dude, this is what I came here to fight. These are the kind of this is when when I say Nazi, I'm talking about people that do this to random people just because they're Russian and don't want to submit to Nazi oppression who was responsible? and foreign. So
1: who 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 did the shelling?
0: The Ukrainian army, of course. Absolutely. It was complete terrorism i mean then you know and you know this was you know a pretty well-known case but you know there's thousands of cases just like it the ukrainian army for terrorism they just say hey i mean you know these are nazis they're not under control by any like real you know kind of military command structure or political restraint at all they're just like hey we got a big cannon here let's make it go boom they're it Point it that way, you know, it's, you know. Why? Why though? Russell, why? For terrorism, dude, for terrorism. To try and reduce the will of the people here who cannot be defeated, who will not be defeated, but to try and terrorize them into submission.
1: Is it because the people in that region want to be independent?
0: Exactly, because we are independent, bro. I mean we held a, a referendum here we said we declare ourselves independent people's republics Yeah it was it was ignored Well then they came in and tried to stop us and we and we stopped them You know I mean literally the front lines of this war for the last 8 years are literally on the outskirts of this city that I'm in right now I mean from from my house where the my wife and I live it's less than five miles. You know, it's less than six kilometers, you know, to the combat line, to, you know, to the Ukrainian mm. bases that, you know, that I mean, dude, there was heavy artillery shells that fell within 500 meters of this hotel where I'm sitting right now today, today. Also, my neighborhood in Petrovsky district got from the, heavily shelled.
1: From the Ukrainian today. side?
0: From the Ukrainian side. You know, and not at specific military targets, but just to terrorize the civilians, to to create suffering for the people who rebelled against their coup d'etat and their fascist government.
1: So what's going on then, Russell? What what yeah, wh- yeah what is going on? I mean I look, and you need to you need to forgive my ignorance because I only know what I read in the media.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know what? You're not ignorant, bro, if you ask, you know, for other perspectives. That's how people get smart, you know. I mean, the ignorant are the ones who read something in the media and then they go around telling all their friends, Well, hell yeah, I know everything all about it. You know, let me tell you what, you know, George Bush said or Joe Biden said. You know, I mean, it's like you have to I mean, especially today when propaganda is absolutely so prevalent, you know, all around the world, um, but especially in the U.S. and in Europe. But you know, you have to you have to do some work to be able to you know be you know to to even pretend that you have a grasp of what the real thing is that's going on. And here, the people stood up. I mean, their their, their government, their democratically elected government, was overthrown. By a foreign coup d'état, foreign-backed coup d'état, uh, a genuine Nazi regime was installed. That's, I mean, and just like you know, just like in South Africa, before you guys got your freedom, you know, these Nazis they say, "Oh, Russians are are subhumans." You know, we need to put them on the knife or hang them on a branch. I mean, these are slogans of these Nazis you know, that follows Stefan Bandera. I mean, they have, you know, you can just, just Google, do an image search on Ukrainian Nazis and see what comes up, bro. And I mean, and it's, it's not, you know, exaggeration or nothing. So these people here, you know, heroically and at the cost of much suffering and blood stood up against the Ukrainian army and against the orders of Joe Biden, you know, for the Ukrainian army to crush this rebellion by whatever ma- means necessary. Uh,
1: before before you go any further, can I just quickly interrupt? Uh, sorry, because I, I need to make sure that I'm following the st- the story. Um, uh-huh. You go said ahead, bro. W- you said when the Ukrainian government uh, was um, put in or installed. When you who was involved? there? was the U S. the U S. government involved. The CIA? Uh, who? NATO?
0: Exactly, the CIA, the U.S. State Department, the U.S. um, Ambassador—I mean, literally—that phone call, Victoria Nuland, Jeffrey Pyatt, where they said, "Fuck the EU." You Mm. can still find it. You can listen to it, and you will hear her saying, "I've heard it." Okay, well, you can hear her saying, "I want Yatsenyuk to be the Prime Minister. We need to keep Klitschko on the side. You know, uh, we want to have Poroshenko for the president." I mean, she went right down the line. But what I'm saying is, is that a functionary of a foreign government decided and dictated who was going to make up the new government in Ukraine.
1: Right, but but why People though?
0: Because because they've <clears throat> wanted to take Ukraine away from you know from Russia. Zbigniew Zbigniew Brzezinski who is a national security advisor and very big dude in the American deep state for decades, ever since the seventies, in fact, once said that, uh, Russia plus Ukraine together is an empire. You know, Russia is the biggest country in the world. Ukraine is the biggest country in Europe. You put them together. That's an empire, but Russia without Ukraine, is just a regional power so that's what they've been doing i mean it was you know the whole expansion of nato since the 1990s you know ukraine was the ultimate goal you know for for ukraine to be in nato you know puts you know puts the wolf right on the front doorstep on the actual border
1: the u.s and nato are an empire
0: yeah they are and they go around the world destroying countries. I mean, you can't name, you know, of all the places the U.S. and NATO has so-called intervened, you know, in this century or even, you know, in the last 50 years. You cannot name, and that's, and that's been a lot of places, but it has not improved things for the people there in a single one of them. Mm. You know, it's colonialism, you know, it's, imperialism, like Vladimir Lenin and Fidel Castro were talking about. That's exactly what they mean. And what I tell, have been telling Americans is that if you, you, I mean, and it is, you know, the Russian military has crossed the border into Ukrainian territory. They are now in the process of taking control of Ukraine, uh, of the military and government of Ukraine. Um, So, I mean, it is a military operation, Um, there is, you know, foreign troops here kicking ass and taking names, but, you know, D-Day on the 4th of, uh, I mean, on the 6th of June 1944 was also an invasion of the Allied troops into France, also to remove a foreign occupier and Nazi oppression. So... You know so if d-day was good which it was i mean it saved europe from you know german nazis and hitler but if d-day was good then it's possible for an invasion to be good and this invasion is good bro i can tell you i spent two days you know the last two days before yesterday i was with the soldiers advancing you know beyond where the border's been for the last eight years into ukrainian held territory and we're going to these little towns <clears throat> you know there was old guys crying you know from joy from joy saying we're so glad we've waited all these years for you those nazi bastards you know they made life so terrible for us you know that you know the nazis are shooting people as they leave you know um it's You know, they're still, you know, the the tactics they're using are, you know, they're they're like Nazis. I mean, they're using human shields in the main cities, uh, Odessa and Mariupol, uh, down, you know, pretty close to here. They're not letting the people leave. I mean, the Russians are surrounding the cities and the Nazis inside those cities aren't letting the civilians leave because they're using them. As human shields. And something that just got revealed today the Ukrainians have, or had, you know, up until this operation began along the Donbass front, about 200 miles, you know, maybe 300 kilometers, something like that. They had 150,000 soldiers here with every kind of, you know, weapon that there is except for nukes and against those hundred and fifty thousand soldiers, which includes thousands of ISIS cannibals that have been shipped in by Turkey that are fighting on the Ukrainian side, you know, and those guys are some real, I mean, they're like, you know, nightmare monster type dudes, man, they'll, they will, they will kill you and eat you. And there's thousands of them working now with the Ukrainian army. There's the hardcore Nazis there's there's thousands of mercenaries you know so these are some hardcore very dangerous individuals you know a very extremely dangerous military organization and on that same line there's about 30 or 40,000 of our guys you know so when you got 40,000 against 150,000 you know and our guys i mean you no know, we got some tanks we got some cannons we got you know we got some stuff too but you know, it's, you know, when it comes to the guns and, and uh, equipment, you know, we're at least outgunned five to one. When by, you say
1: when you say our guys, who do you mean?
0: I mean, the defenders of the Donbass Republics, the official armies of the Donetsk People's Republic and the Lugansk People's Republic, and of which I was a member.
1: Right. And do you have Russian allies?
0: Yes, yes, there are. There are Russians here now, I mean, real Russian army troops here now. You know, I mean, it's funny, you know, all these propagandists in the West have been, you know, squealing and crying about a Russian invasion for the last eight years, you know, and then it actually just started happening last week, you know. You, know, you talk about a Russian invasion, and then, and and now, you know, you, uh, you know, these, they're, they're, you know, they they. And now you see what a real Russian invasion looks like. The quality of life in our republics is far better than the quality of life in Ukraine itself. I mean, you know, we it's it's inconvenient. Uh, We don't have banks here. You know, I mean, to do any I mean, you know, you you have a bank where you can go get, you know, change for a hundred dollar bill or something. But, you know, you can't, you know, Western Union or sending some money or something. uh, We don't have a post office. You know, you can't order something from amazon or off the internet here you have to go to russia to rostov and do that and it's like a six to eight hour bus ride very third world style bus each way you know so you know to go to the bank or to go to the post office you know you're looking at a two-day trip that's going to make you tired for a couple of days By the time you get back plus a hotel room in rostov you know so i mean there are you know i mean the food situation here is fine. You know, the medical, medical situation here is fine. I mean, there are some medical shortages right now, just in the past week, there is some food shortages right now, just from the past week. But generally speaking, uh, you know, life goes on as normal. You know, the buses run on time, people go to school, people go to their jobs. Um, you know, a lot of specialists like my wife's phone, uh, broke down or something in the last couple of days. And so, I mean, you it, and especially at this time right now, you can't really find somebody that's qualified to fix a cell phone here. You know, one of the things too, they have evacuated, I think, over 60, 50 or 60,000 women and children and elderly people to Rostov, you know, because of this uh, war. And Right now, uh, there is conscription, you know, it's, uh, if you're over 18 and under 55, if, if they see you on the street, they're going to say you come right now, you know? And, uh, so there's, you know, there's, there's, you know, tens of thousands of guys that have just joined the army, whether they wanted to or not in the last week, but there's also. You know, some that are just basically hiding out or whatever, you know. The guys that tried to uh, run to Rostov, to Russia as as uh, evacuations, refugees or whatever, they got kicked back. They said, no, you don't get to go. Your wife and kids can, but uh, you got work to do here.
1: So is life tough at the moment where you are?
0: Well, I mean, the, the people of Donetsk are as tough as anybody anywhere. You know, they've been under already... know there i mean it's like you know you get used to it i mean the shelling like that happened here today right outside this hotel you know i mean you know within 500 meters you know i mean these kind of shells they have a 100 meter you know kill zone when they hit you know if you're within 100 meters you can die from that shell you know so you know it wasn't close enough to kill us but it was you know, it was almost close enough to kill us. And it was very, very dangerous, you know, I mean, so, but you just get used to that stuff, you know, I mean, like, we have two cats at our house out in Petrovsky district, and I have to drive out there like every day or every other day to give them some food, you know, and some, you know, and there's been times when, you know, there's been reports that that area is getting heavily shelled. And my wife's, uh, you know, like, don't go, don't go. And I'm like, well, I have to, you know, and and then I'm driving, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, "Well, I hope this wasn't a stupid mistake, you know." Because you can see, I mean, as you drive out there, you see the craters, the shell craters of where the shelling, you know, that could have been the day before. It could have been five minutes before, you know. Um, Russell, and, so
1: I, I've got to ask you the elephant in the room question, um, and that's this is the one that's just dominating the media. But Vladimir Putin has been he's been promising this action for years now because he's getting becoming increasingly impatient at the 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 violations of the Minsk agreement and the violations of NATO and the violations of the US government and all those sorts of things has do you think his actions are the correct actions
0: yes yes and uh, and i mean and i'll tell you this out of all the so-called western media and even in the alt media you know, all these uh, self-anointed experts and, oh, geopolitical pundits and stuff, uh, most of who are a bunch of uh, pompous buffoons, none of them, I mean, I was saying that this was coming. You know, I was saying two months ago, I said, look, I mean, I wrote an article a month ago. You know, it came out uh, like, you know, 1st of February. I said, 95% chance this big hard war, Russia's going to come in, before the end or no before the beginning of March and 99% chance before the end of March, you know, and all these dudes, you know, they're laughing at me saying, Oh, you know, this guy, he must want the war. He's just some, uh, you know, he's still dreaming of his glory days in the army. And well, I just happened to be exactly right. And all these other guys, you know, mm-hmm. were exactly wrong. There was one other guy, Scott Ritter. He was, uh, a UN weapons inspector back in the 1990s he was the only guy who said that there weren't any weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And he also, he got a lot of flack for that. And he turned out to be the only guy that was right. And That's he cool. and I were both saying, no, it's uh, it's coming now for real, for real. And everybody else is like, Oh, look at these clowns. And now they can go eat their words. I mean, and you know what? And it, and Vladimir Putin, who's, you know the greatest statesman on the planet by far you know i mean all the other ones in europe and and, and the united states you know they don't even measure up to his toenails you know and uh you know he, he is a true you know like warrior from god within in russia there's a the word bogatyr, and it means like a warrior from god and he really is that and i mean you know, he's like a ninth degree black belt in Taekwondo, an eighth degree black belt in judo. So I mean he literally is. He's one of the you know, the number of people that have both of those black belts to that degree in the world, you know, you can you can you can count on your fingers and toes. You know, and you know, he was he was the head of the FSB, he was a KGB agent, you know, he's He's as badass as anybody that ever walked. You know, he's a true warrior. And, you know, all military strategy to this day is based on a book called The Art of War that was written by a Chinese general named Sun Tzu 2,500 years ago. And I've read that book quite a few times, in fact, and I guarantee Vladimir Putin has too. I've also read it. The most important lesson of that book is this the most the the greatest warrior is not the one who wins every battle the greatest most excellent warrior is the one who wins without fighting Mm. and vladimir putin is a most excellent warrior and he has tried for eight years to win without fighting. You know I mean? Because of course. You know. Uh, everything that gets destroyed in this war. Even though it's the fault of the United States. That started the war. Russia will become responsible for it. Every bridge that's blown up. Every you know power. Exchange station that gets blown up. Has to be repaired. You know and Russia is going to be the ones that have to do it. So you know I mean they don't want to come in and just, you know, just like what the United States did, you know, uh, in Yugoslavia or in Iraq where they just come in and just, you know, go ahead and level the whole city and kill everybody in it, including civilians, because they're coming here to liberate their friends, their families, and create a nation that they can work with in a brotherly fashion like they have for most of the last thousand years. So Putin has been more 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 than patient you know i mean mm. he's tolerated you know vermin like 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 you know a degenerate senile biden the, the words escape me what to call joe biden you know but senile degenerate <laughs> with a full <laughs> diaper is pretty close you know
1: and Zelensky also
0: and uh well i mean and Zelensky. i mean you can look at this dude i mean especially these days you can tell he's got a big time coke habit, bro. You can tell he's been drinking too much, you know, because he knows his days are numbered wherever he goes in the world. He is, Putin, get away.
1: is Putin and, attempting to to capture him?
0: Well, um, let me just say that the uh, the the arm of Russian justice is very very long, and Russians do not forget and they do not forgive. When it comes to Nazis and mass murderers, so you know all these guys are gonna have their day in court one way or the other, you know for sure. And uh, you know the thing is that Putin tried every peaceful means, you know. I mean, but of course, the masters of the of the Kiev regime in Washington, you know, I mean, what they really wanted was to make you know Ukraine into NATO and then yeah you know have an attack base right on the border of Russia
1: but that's a violation you know, of the original agreement
0: yeah i mean and so you know once they realize that that ain't going to happen then mm. once they now realize that you know Russia is going to liberate Ukraine then then their their plan at this point is to You know, damage Russia's reputation as much as possible, do as much destruction to, you know, as much horror of war, as much destruction of the civilian infrastructure as possible before they cut and run and leave Russia here to clean up the mess. You know, something interesting that a lot of people don't know, but it's a fact and you can look it up. The United States had 12 biological warfare laboratories in Ukraine.
1: Quite close to the border.
0: And yeah, I mean, mean, Mm. there was was at least 12 of them. They were spaced out throughout the whole country of Ukraine, but they were absolutely, completely controlled. I mean, only Americans worked in them. Only Americans could go inside of them. You know, Mm. Ukrainians didn't have any, not only didn't have any say, they didn't even have any idea what was going on in there. You know, but these were, you know, biological warfare research facilities and the Russians have now sterilized them with fire. And uh, and that's a good thing because they were truly, you know, very deadly uh, threats, you know, especially to the people here in Donbass, but also to Russians and Ukrainians. You know, so Russia has only done what it had to do It was reported today by the Russian Duma the Russian Parliament that the uh, Russian military intelligence revealed that when Russia started operation Z last week this you know military operation in Ukraine they started it one day before the planned attack of the Ukrainian army against the Donbass republics wow and that that was their strategy which I always said the whole time too, because 2014, 2015, the Ukrainian army tried to, you know, retake Donbass by going around around the major cities and going heading straight to the Russian border to seal off the border. And, you know, being out in the country and open, you know, I mean it's 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 like prairie here, you know, planes. You know, they were vulnerable to artillery and um uh, they were annihilated, you know, they were, they were, you know, whole battalions disappeared in smoke and fire. Um, So their plan this time, which exactly what I also predicted was that they weren't going to go around the cities. They were going to come straight into the cities in order to use the civilians as human shields, like what they're doing, what they, exactly what they're doing in Odessa and Mariupol and these other cities right now. But if because from from where the front line is where the Ukrainian army is to the center of the city of Donetsk which is a city of a million people it's less than 10 miles you know you mm. can you know you can drive there in less than an hour and 30 minutes you can walk there in a day you know so if the Ukrainians yeah army could make an attack and come into the center of the city <clears throat> then all of the uh, military advantages that the russian army has against the ukrainian which is you know their air force their uh, missile force and their uh, long-range artillery you know those become useless then because if if you're hiding you know 100 soldiers in between an apartment block with a thousand civilians and that's the reason this is taking longer than it was expected is because that's exactly what they're doing. And that was their plan to come straight in here into the city, you know, and just, you know, wreak havoc. I'm a Russian Orthodox Christian, bro. And uh, when you spend as much time as close to death as I have, you know, you say your prayers
1: Mm.
0: and, you know, I've, you know, I've seen the face of true evil, you know, you know, I've met, mass murderers in the wild you know i've met cannibals in the wild you know i know what true evil is and what you know this isn't a war between russia and ukraine this isn't a a ukrainian civil war you know this is like the the spear point the 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 point edge of the war between good and evil for the future of humanity. And I mean that, dude. I really mean that. And I say something a, a little phrase that I came up with back in 2015 when I first started doing uh information, you know, warfare, you know, journalism and like that. As goes Donbass, so goes the world. Mm. And you know, and what we're doing, I mean, here in Donbass and in Syria, Those are the two spear points of where evil is trying to take over the world. And those are the two places where it's been stopped so far.
1: Do you think that it's very important that the Ukraine is stopped from joining NATO?
0: I think it's very important that NATO is stopped. Period. (laughs) I mean, you know what? Okay, look. First of all, there's no way. There was never any way that Ukraine was going to join NATO. That was all kind of like a red herring, just a little bullshit distraction. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whether there's a piece of paper that says Ukraine is in NATO or whether Ukraine has a NATO flag in Kiev. What matters is if there's NATO soldiers on military bases in Ukraine, you know, using, you know, pointing NATO missiles, NATO weapons at Russia from Ukraine, and, you know, there, and and it's, you know, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, if 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 you lived, if if the house next door to where you live, you know. A biker gang comes in, beats up the husband and chases him off, you know, starts slapping around the wife and then sits there and looks at, out the window across the fence at you and goes, hey, what are you going to do about it? And pulls out a shotgun and points it at you like that, you know, mm. Russia can't stand for something like that. They can't. Vladimir Putin, you know, <laughs> he, he is saving Donbass and he is saving the world. But his job is to protect Russia and the Russian people. That's his number one job. Everything else is secondary to that. So he cannot allow Ukraine to become, you know, a, a tool of NATO to threaten the future of Russia and the Russian people with. And so, you know, he tried to work it out. He gave every peaceful chance, every peaceful chance. You know, he's patient beyond patience. And now he's, he said, all right, now I'm going to kick your ass.
1: What is the exit strategy here for both Ukraine, Donbass, as well as Russia?
0: Well, since I'm not shy about making predictions, <laughs> I'll tell you what I think is going to happen. And, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, you know, and, I, and when I was saying before about when I was predicting that this war was going to happen, You know some of these assholes that were making fun of me you know that you know they said we're the experts you know some some dude that uh he worked in the cia for like 30 years before he finally Mm -hmm. grew a conscience you know and now he's like the anti-war dude and stuff he's like oh there's no way there's going to be and he's like making fun of me saying i wanted to be a war stuff you know and i i asked him i said well ray do you want to bet you want to bet some money and no, he didn't want to bet any money. And too bad he didn't because he'd be sending me some. Although he's the kind of guy that probably would welch on it. But this is what I think is going to happen, bro. The, you, the Russian army will take Kiev. I guarantee that's going to happen. Uh, the territory of Ukraine, it's basically the western part is is pro nato pro europe pro nazi there and there's nothing there it's just it's it's there's nothing there it's like cow fields and nazis the eastern part is where all the russians live it's got all the good agricultural land you know i mean ukraine was the breadbasket of the soviet union they have some of the most fertile earth on earth here and uh they also have the coal they also have the industry steel making you know all the good stuff's in the east so that's the part that russia is liberating uh not because they are just want to take all the good stuff but because that's where the russian people are they're going to go to kiev and if you look at a map and you say just north west of kiev which is where chernobyl is and right close to the belarusian border and you draw a line to the southwest to the northern tip of moldova i think that's going to be the dividing line and i think that russia is going to stop there i think and in fact i think the deal's already been you know made they're going to say okay we're going to we're going to take kiev we're going to take you know this area here and then you know we'll let you put on a little show where you know i mean right now there's like 10,000 us soldiers on on the polish ukrainian border they're going to say all right your american soldiers can come you know riding in like the cavalry from a cowboy movie and uh, say that you stopped the you know the russian advance you know and it'll go down in the history books as a big great victory this you you can you can take all the la- all the land up to this point but if you fire one shot, if you, you know, if you throw a rock at a Russian soldier, you know, then it's on. So I think that Russia will take the Russian part, the good part of Ukraine. And then what they're going to do, uh, the Nazis will be put on trial. They'll be punished. I mean, Russia doesn't have the death penalty right now, but they might bring it back just for these guys. And, you know, to be honest, I hope they do uh but if they don't then those guys will work for the rest of their lives in very unpleasant conditions rebuilding all of the things that they destroyed and you know i mean it's i never thought i'd say it but hey i might even apply for a job as a prison guard (laughs) but that's what's going to happen dude they're going to They're going to completely dismantle the Ukrainian army. The new Ukrainian army will be made up of the guys from the Donbass Republics who've been defending Donbass and Russia and humanity against Nazis for the last eight years. That's going to be the cadre. That's going to be the leaders, the commanders, the cops. Hmm. And um, you know, then it's going to be a whole new government. It's not Well, it may to some degree be determined by Russia who will be in that government, but the majority of Ukrainian people hate Nazis. They understand what's happened to their country over the last eight years. And they, I mean, dude, and I was in freshly liberated cities and it was like, like world war II or something, dude, you go into these cities with all blown down houses and you know, the old man comes out and he's like crying because he's so happy. He's like, you chased the Nazis out. Keep going, keep going. You know, I mean, so Russia will liberate the Russian part of Ukraine. It will help to secure the borders and the internal stability. It will allow the people who have been on the good side of this war to take positions of authority. Until democratic, open, fair elections can be held. And then, I mean, Russia doesn't have the time or the inclination. You know, they're not here to take over Ukraine or steal anything from Ukraine. It's going to cost, it already has cost them, you know, 10 million bucks a day or something to come in here, you know. Yeah, and the sanctions. It's going to cost them a lot more by the time. Yeah, I mean, so. Oh, and the sanctions, of course, you know? I mean, Mm. fortunately, and that's a whole nother deal right there, dude, but one of the most important things to understand is that those sanctions are going to devastate Europe this year because the thing that's already happened is that in 2020, and this is actually pretty funny, okay, in 2020, Russia had long-term treaty gas contracts with most of the nations in european union uh they agreed to sell a set amount of gas at a set price for so many years different countries had uh you know different lengths of time of the contracts mm. but basically all the countries in europe had an agreement to buy russian gas at 250 u.s dollars per thousand cubic meters and uh, then in 2020, when the COVID hit and everything locked down and all the industry got shut down, the price for gas on the open market dropped to about 125 it dropped by about 50%. And the European Union, led by the Polish, they took Russia to like the Strasbourg Court of International UEC, U, uh, International Economic Relations or something. And they demanded that Russia allow them to break the contracts and renegotiate them to where the contracts were based instead of a standard set price, regardless of market fluctuations, they said, we now demand that you set the price according to the market price. Mm. and it was a crooked court i mean the contracts were signed they were ironclad the only way that the europeans could get out of them was you know with the crooked court and the court was crooked and 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 they uh judged against russia and russia said okay if you demand it and if your court judges against us then we will we'll agree we're going to sell you gas based on the market price. Mm. And so in the year 20, they lost some five or $10 billion, you know, because they're, you know, they were getting paid 150 bucks for what they had agreed on the contract to get paid 250 bucks for. Right. So then comes 2021 and this is where it gets good. And industry starts up and the price of gas skyrockets. It goes up from 125 per 1,000 cubic meters, not back to 250, not back to 350 or 500. It goes to 1,500. And the Russians are like, all right, dudes, pay up or you don't get it. You said based it on the market price. So, you know, I mean, and the Russians lost, you know, five or $10 billion dollars because the european union cheated them on that contract but in 2021 mm. they made 65 billion in in super profits dude that's more than a billion dollars a week just you know for nothing mm. you know for for what they you know they were getting paid 1000 more than 1000 almost 1500 bucks for what they had offered to sell for 250 bucks and the Europeans stabbed him in the back and slapped him in the face. So yeah, are all right, dude. Market price, you ask for it, here it is. But here's the problem, dude, and this is where it gets serious is that one of the most, uh, what do you call it, energy intensive industries there is in the world is the manufacture of agricultural fertilizer, and in Europe, fertilizer manufacturing has pretty much been shut down because they just can't afford to pay that kind of gas price. But if you don't have fertilizer to put on the dirt in the spring, Mm. then your crop in the fall, you know, is going to be, you know, half or even less. And so Europe is going to be looking at a very real, very serious food crisis.
1: Who is to blame for all this mess?
0: The people that own and control the U.S. government. You know, there's the 1%, the oligarchs of the world. You know, I try and be a good Christian man. I try not to hate people. You know, I hate Nazis and I hate oligarchs. You know, I hate every billionaire on this planet. I would run them through a wood chipper and laugh every one of them including donald trump no one can earn a billion dollars that's a thousand million no one is smart enough or can work hard enough to earn a billion dollars you can only steal it and uh every dollar that they steal that they didn't work for is a dollar that some other man worked for that he didn't get paid you know and you know when you talk about you know a billionaire you know well a billions a thousand million dollars but most of these dudes they don't just have one billion or five billion or 10 billion you know there's talk- i mean like i don't even know how much you know bezos or gates or any of those motherfuckers have but it's in the hundreds of billions and when you have money like that when you have political power like that. You know, I mean, when, when you, so somebody that, that has billions of dollars, when they look at some regular guy, some working dude, who makes 50 or even a hundred thousand bucks a year. They're like, shit, man, I can, I can buy and sell your whole family, you know, with, you know, with less than I spend on lunch. You know, they, They become, and it doesn't matter if they're, you know, Chinese or black or Jewish or, you know, Iranian or whatever. I mean, when you're a billionaire, that's what race you are. That's what religion you are. And the only other people that you relate to on the planet are other billionaires and all us regular folks to them. Well, as long as we're profitable, because that's where they get their money from is from us. And as long as we're profitable, they look at us like livestock, you know, like, you know, cows or chickens or something, you know, I mean, hey, you know, every sheep, you know, has a place to live where it's warm and they get fed every day, you know, as long as they're getting their wool sheared off or until the day they go to the slaughterhouse. But the day comes when the mass of humanity, the majority of humanity is no longer profitable and to be honest really it's because these billionaires these you know the true parasite class they've already stolen everything there's nothing left to steal so now they're tired of us regular folks you know standing on their planet breathing up their air and so that's why we have you know i i truly believe that this whole corona thing and you know like that mm. you know the whole gay rights thing and all that it's uh, it's a, it's a plan for depopulation you no, know, because these billionaires, you know, I mean, they want to keep a couple of hundred million around for for slaves, you know, but uh, the rest of us, they're they're tired of looking at us and they want us to just get off their planet. You know, we we are the useless so, eaters. Yeah. And so that's, you know, and that's straight out of, you know, genuine Nazi philosophy right there, you know, mm. and these are the guys, you know, I mean. You know then that and that's who i blame not just for this war but for all wars and the you know the problems that humanity the immense problems that humanity faces in the 21st century you no know, they it's it's really that's the war it's between the parasite one percenters and humanity and it's either going to be us or them you, you were know, talking and,
1: about you're talking about class structures and uh, relating to various people i Uh, uh, something that's been on my mind is it sounds, and I just want to make sure that we're on the same page here. This isn't about ordinary Ukrainian people. They're decent people.
0: Absolutely, bro. I mean, you know, the people here, after what we've suffered under the Ukrainian army, you know, they say, there's no way we're going back to Ukraine. Ukraine's going to come to us. My wife speaks Ukrainian and Russian and English. You know, she's a teacher. Um on her birthday, she sings Ukrainian folk songs. You know, I mean there's no this it's not between Russians or Ukrainians. You know, it's between you know, Nazis, their foreign masters and their, you know, billionaire oligarch, you know, uh collaborators. You know, that's That's who it is. I mean, you know, there's good people, you know, in every country all over the world of every race, every religion, you know, but, you know, in in my mind, really, there's no such thing as a good billionaire, you know, and billionaires, you know, they're the threat. They're the, you know, the parasites, they're the cancer that needs that this planet needs to get rid of. And the people that work for those billionaires, uh, you know, probably also are, are not good for the future.
1: Is Vladimir Putin a dictator?
0: No, no, because you know what? If he was, he would have kicked the Ukrainian uh, Nazis asses a while ago. You know, in fact, in Russia, there is still right now... a a strong, uh, you know, what we say fifth column, you know, liberal Western traders, you know, who are paid and trained by the West, you know, like Navalny, Mm -hmm. you know, and who, who is sitting in, you know, prison right now, but it's probably a prison that wasn't any worse than any of the prisons that I sat in in the United States, you know, and I mean, and he's a real trader, you know, and he, he deserves a lot worse than what he already got. And the whole thing about him getting poisoned, you know, only an idiot can believe that, you know, I mean, and the same thing. It's like, we you know, with the the Novichok thing in Great Britain, you know, with the uh, Skripals, you know, you think, oh, Vladimir Putin, you know, the KGB, you know, assassin tyrants murderer, you know, and he tries to kill the Skripals and he tries to kill Navalny and he can't even kill him. You know, how come all the people that he tries to kill are still alive, you know? No, no. I mean, (laughs) that's pretty funny, isn't it? You know, I mean, if he was a tyrant, you know, he would have handled this whole mess a long time ago. Mm. But he's not only not a tyrant because and Russia has a lot of imperfections. You know, there's a lot of corruption Mm. in the lower echelons of of government. A lot. Uh, There's a a fair amount of it in the higher echelons, the whole oligarch class mm. of billionaires in Russia, you know, and these are, are the thieves. These are the ones who came in with the help of Western bankers, you know, and Western politicians after the Soviet union collapsed, you know, and, and basically stole everything, you know, and they got some crooked judge to sign a piece of paper that, okay, now, you know, all the land for the next 500 miles is yours or this whole factory complex is now yours and you pay a hundred bucks, you know, and I sign it. So all these, all the, all the Russian oligarchs, billionaires absolutely are only there because they're thieves and they hate Putin because he puts some limit to their power. He's forced them to bring their money back to Russia. Is Putin and not a billionaire? So, what's that?
1: Is Putin himself not a billionaire?
0: I don't know. Nobody knows. Mm. Nobody knows. I'll tell you something. This clown Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, it was just uh, revealed like in the last two weeks. Some documents got hacked. There's a German bank in South America, Deutscher Dresdener Bank, and uh, Zelensky's got one. 0.2 billion dollars in it. And you can look that up, bro. You can just I mean look it up. I'm not making it up. I'm not didn't, you know, read it on, you know, some conspiracy chat, dude. It's fact. And he's getting paid. I mean and and, the, and it's it's so well documented that they can say, yes, the three main Ukrainian billionaires, which is Kolomoysky and uh, Pinchuk and Akhmetov They're each paying Zelensky 12 to 35 million a month each. Sure. You know, and that adds up pretty quick, you know, and it's a nice tidy sum now, you know, I mean, so, and you know what, I mean, like the thing about what Navalny was saying about like his Putin's billion dollar palace or something. That's complete bullshit. Actually, it's a hotel. It's not owned by Putin. and, I mean, Putin's not the kind of guy that, that wants a billion dollar house. You know, the thing in his life, he wants to leave, he wants to be a part of history, that he did something good for humanity. He doesn't give a shit. I used to have a Rolex watch. My dad gave it to me when I joined the U.S. Army back in uh, 1980. And, uh, I actually gave it away. I gave it to my little brother. Um back when I was high rolling, I bought another one for myself. And when my little brother died in 2015 when I was here, you know, he had always said, Hey, if anything happens to me, I'll give you that Rolex back. And so I got it back. And uh I ended up I wore it for about a year. You know, it's very interesting because the Rolex, it was a GMT master, had a black face. And the bezel is red and blue. Here you can see this is this is like a German. It's not a, it's not a fake, but it's like a German version of the Rolex. Um, and 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 you see the black face and the red and blue bezel there. Mm. That's the colors of the Donbass, the Donetsk People's Republic, bro. Sure. Flag, red, black, and blue. And so, you know, I wore it for a while, you know, because it was a sentimental because my brother. And, uh, and then I said, well, you know, I'm a communist, you know, I don't really need to to have a 6,000 or actually $15,000 watch. I ended up getting 6,000 for it when I sold it. Um, but, uh, I needed the money and I put that money to good use, including human aid. But, uh, so I sold the Rolex. And bought me this uh, Steinhardt, you know, German. And it does exactly the same thing. It's automatic winding, two-time zone. You know, uh, looks super cool. You know, I mean, it's not an, a fake Rolex or anything. But it's it does the exact same thing for 500 bucks. And so I got 5500 to spend on other stuff. Um, but, you know, so I'm not the kind of guy that gives a shit. You know, I mean, uh, you know, a, a stainless steel Rolex is pretty cool. You know, um, it cost 1000 back in, in in 1980 when my dad bought it and gave it to me. But, uh, you know, I mean, but some dude that has like a hundred thousand golden diamond encrusted Rolex, you know, that dude's an asshole. And that watch just proves it, you know, and it's like a big, you know, neon sign saying this guy's an asshole, you know, and somebody that has a hundred thousand dollar gold diamond encrusted watch needs to be jumped on the street get his ass kicked and his fucking watch stolen to take it somewhere and do some, some Robin hood stuff with it, you know, but you know, and Putin, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure that me and Vladimir Putin would get along real good if we ever had a chance to sit down and have some dinner and a couple of shots of vodka together. Um, you know, he's, he is the greatest. I mean, I have two friends here in Donetsk that, uh, are, uh, karate teachers, uh, and they're third dan black belts, and you know, and you know, true martial arts experts are like the coolest guys there are. You know, because they they never get upset, they never get pissed off. You know, they're always very polite, very patient and understanding. You know, and and Putin is like you know one of the greatest in in the history of the world. So, you know. He's a great dude. He, the last thing he cares, I mean, what, he's 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 like 70 years old or something now, you know? I mean, why the fuck would somebody care about having a billion dollar house if they got, you know, maybe 30 more years to live, you know? I mean, I'm sure he's got some money. I'm sure he's got a lot of rich friends who like him a lot and say, hey, whatever you need, Vladimir. But I don't know if he's a billionaire and nobody else does and anybody that says they do is a liar because If Putin did want to be a billionaire, he could be. I mean, but he's one of the great secret agents of the history of of the modern world. He would be able to hide it so that some clown like Navalny or Bellingcat couldn't, you know, figure it out from open source internet, you know?
1: There's something really interesting. Sorry, I interrupted you. There's something really interesting. No, no, go ahead. Yeah, there's, there's an interesting thread coming through. You know, Joe Biden is the leader of supposedly the free world. There's a massive irony, isn't there? I mean,
0: look what they're doing in Canada. Look what they did to those truckers. Mm. They said, we're going to steal your bank account. We don't need a court order or anything. We're just going to go in and do it. You know, I mean, look at, uh, I mean, dude, and you know what? I'm not prejudiced against homosexuals. When I was a weed dealer, I used to give free medical marijuana to anybody that needed it back in the early 1990s. Nurse people with cerebral palsy, epilepsy, different diseases that weed really helped. But the vast majority of the people that came to me and applied for free weed, and I'm talking about 400 bucks a month worth, for each one. So I was giving away four or 5,000 bucks a month. And the vast majority of the people who came here and asked me, who came to me and asked me for that were gay dudes that were dying of AIDS. And I gave it to them, you know, and I got to know a lot of them. And I, I really didn't like most of them at all not because they were gay, but just because they were fucking fucked up individuals, you know, and, but I still gave them the weed. I still gave them, you know, 400 bucks a month worth of something for free that, that I could have made the money on myself just because they're human beings, man. Mm -hmm. And, and because they were dying and I felt sorry for them, even if they were assholes, you know, but, um, you know, when, when I see the shit that's happening now in the United States, like you know, this, uh, what's her name, Rachel or his name or whatever, Rachel Levine. It's like the head of the health and human services. That's a transsexual. And then they got this new dude that just came out and he's like, he's like the head of the, uh, us department of energy, nuclear waste disposal. Have you seen this dude? Yes. And he's got like his, his boys that dress up like like dogs and, Dude, I mean, it's 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 beyond insane. It's like uh, it's it's like a cartoon. You know, if if somebody had had told me this, you know, even you know, twenty five years ago, you know, I you know, I would have said, you know, that's a great joke, but you know, there's no way that that can ever happen.
1: Russell, do you think the West is dead?
0: Uh, I think the United States is going down. I think Europe's going down. I think they're. I think it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be some very, very, very hard and hellish times for both the EU and the United States. And uh, and I'm and I'm sorry to see it. I spent you know a lot of time in Europe back in the '80s, '90s, and I loved it very much. I love the United States. I've traveled all over the United States, man. I mean, uh, I lived in uh, Northwest Washington, north of Seattle for about seven years. Some of the most beautiful geography on on the earth. I lived in Minnesota, Minneapolis for seven years. I actually lived, when I first moved up there, I lived in the ghetto, bro. I lived I lived uh, one block away, like 100 meters away from where that dude, uh, George Floyd, was murdered. That's that's South Central Minneapolis. Dude. That's the hood. Um, but you know, Minneapolis or Minnesota is a mainly Scandinavian population. You know, they're you know they're real hardworking, intelligent, believe in education. You know, highly moral people, good people for the most part. I mean, there's a there's there's a lot of good. There's millions of good people in the United States and in europe you know but in both cases i'd say that those millions add up to about maybe two or three percent of the whole population mm-hmm. and i don't want to sound like a billionaire you know but a lot of these people you know that i mean if if you don't know what gender you are yeah then you don't know anything you don't know anything
1: yeah i agree. And if with you. you
0: don't know anything then you're not really qualified to have an opinion about anything.
1: Yeah. And no, I agree you know, you. so
0: and you know what? It's tolerable, you know, it's for me, you know, uh I decided a long time ago, I can, you know, if someone can be a complete idiot, but if they have a good heart, you know, if they're like a good soul and the innocent mm. person and they're just dumb as fuck, I'll still be friendly to them. I'll still I'll still be their friend, I'll still like them, you know they can be a complete idiot and the pain in the ass to be around and screw up everything that they ever do. But if they're good, I like them anyway. Yeah. And on the other hand, someone can be a complete asshole, you know, a hardcore, like a drill instructor, you know, or, you know, a military commander or, you know, uh, you know, like my boss in the weed, you know, in, in the underworld, you know, the boss of like a, a criminal gang or something. And they can be a complete asshole, but if they're an expert at their job, if they're really smart, I can still like them too. Because I tell you what, I've, I've become friends with some real hard men that, you know, most normal people would say, you know, this guy's, a, you know, a beast, you know, a real asshole whatever. But if they're smart, then they like me too, because they know I'm a hard man too, and we get along good. So I can get along with an asshole who's smart, and I can get along with an idiot who's sweet and nice, but what I can't stand is what most people in the West are today, which is a fucking idiot and an asshole. You know, <laughs> they're too stupid to find their own hand, their own ass with both hands, and yet they want to fucking sit there and lecture you and fucking yell and scream and you know, tell you how to run things, and they don't even know, you know? Yeah. I mean, like these people on Facebook, putting up the Ukrainian flags on their whatever the call, I got kicked off of Facebook about more than a year ago. Now they just deleted my whole thing. But, uh, you know, these idiots and they're like, you know, I'm all for Ukraine. Hey bro, can you show me where Ukraine is on the map? (laughs) No, you know, I mean, and just sit there and then look Mm -hmm. at you like, well, I don't have to know where it is on the map. You know I'm all for it and I think we ought to go kill all the Russians you know and they don't know anything at all about it and yet they have an opinion that they want to shout in your face yeah. that's what I can't stand yeah this is a a 74 it is a select fire so full automatic plus uh, semi-automatic it's uh, a trophy it was taken in battle from a Ukrainian soldier um it was almost brand new when i got it it only been fired a few times a lot of rifles that you see oh it's got the uh the folding stock too which is which is really cool because you can you can shorten it up you can put it under like a big coat and nobody even knows you got it and when you got an ak-74 and i'll show you something else too i don't know if you can see that but you see the little black line around those bullets these are armor piercing bullets they'll go through most military bulletproof vests
1: so what what caliber and is that I, I might have missed that
0: it's a uh, 5.45 millimeter it's ak-74 so it's it's it has a smaller round than the ak-47 which is 7.62 but it's uh it's more effective and you can carry for the same weight you can carry like uh an extra fifty rounds more of the uh, 5.45 than the 7.62. So um, this it's legal for me. I you know I got it when I was in the army. It's registered with the cops here. The Russians are pretty serious, or you know the Donbass People's Republic. They're pretty serious about who they let have weapons. I had to take like a psychological test. Mm-hmm. Had to give, I had to take my weapons down to the police department forensic lab, you know, fire five rounds into a bucket of water so they have, you know, the ballistics so that if this weapon ever is used in a crime, you know, they'll know whose weapon it was. I have to have like a, a really good safe to keep the guns in. You know, I have a pistol too, a Makarov nine millimeter pistol. Um, when I, you know, I always have the AK at home and uh, I always, carry them out. If I go out, if I take garbage out to the street, I have my pistol with me because I am on a death list. There are hit squads in this city right now. And I'm, you know, they know my face and I'm on their list. So, you know, and, and I'm not afraid of dying. You know, when I first came here, you know, in December, 2014, I didn't really expect to live through the winter, you know, and there was no reason to expect that I would, because I was coming to Russia in a real war and I was on the small side in winter and I didn't even hardly speak Russian, you know, so I didn't expect to live, but I did. And so it's, you know, it's all gravy since then, man. I mean, I never, in my younger days, I never expected to live to be 50, you know, much less 61 now, but I'll say this, bro. Uh, the guns won't keep me from getting killed. They can kill me anytime they want, but they don't want to kill me. Cause then that just makes me, you know, a legend. You know, but they would like to, you know, capture me and take me over to the Azov Battalion and, you know, make a gay porno snuff film with me. But I ain't going to be having any of that shit. The the guns keep me from getting captured.
1: (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) I didn't see that coming. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, dude, I mean, and on a serious note there, dude, there, I have seen, and, and I hate watching that kind of stuff, but I kind of have to for my job. They, they have made some really, you know, I mean, beyond imagination, terrible atrocity films with their prisoners.
1: Yo, <laughs> And that's can...
0: guys like me. So the guns just keep me from getting captured, bro. That's, you know, everybody has to die. I know I'm going to die one of these mm. days. Hopefully not tomorrow, but because I still got work to do, but just to keep from getting captured. I had uh, uh, M16s when I was in the U.S. Army, Um, and then as kind of an outlaw, I had a lot of guns of my own, including both the ARs and the AKs. Dude, the AK is indestructible, You you know, and every time that you pull the trigger, it's going to go bang. And, I mean, mostly, you know, the, the gunfights that I was in were under 400 meters, and mostly say at about 200 meters distance. Um, you know, the shor- shortest was like 100 meters. And that's, that's really very close when, you know, it's machine guns shooting. Mm. But, um, you know, uh, AK... I mean, my wife can hit a, you know, a head-sized target at 150 meters. You know, I can hit one at 300 pretty much every time and at 400 about half the time. You know, so it's, you know, it's accurate. It's, it's certainly accurate enough for, you know, uh, you know, I mean, not sniping. I did, I was a sniper too in the Army here. I worked uh, with the SVD, but, uh, and I did some sniping with my AK, with just a good uh, scope on it. And, uh, you know, at the combat ranges in this war, that's, you know, sufficient. I mean, and I wasn't a ant- I wasn't a sniper, I was an anti-sniper. I only worked hunting the snipers that were trying to sneak up on us. And I wasn't the guy that just like, I mean, like on both sides, you know, there's snipers and they, you know, they see some guy digging a ditch or something and they pick him off. I didn't, I only, I only worked against uh, other snipers. And luckily for me, that was back in the early days of the war before, you know, the Ukrainian army got, you know, some real, real serious training and some real, real serious sniper weapons. It's a whole, whole different game these days. And I do have friends that are snipers in the Spetsnaz Battalion. And, uh, you know, I say my prayers for them every day. They're great guys. And I mean, this this war is a war of liberation. Uh, what Russia is doing, not only helps the people of Donbass and Ukraine and Russia. It helps the future of the world. Because like I said, as goes Donbass, so goes the world. And, you know, if we can turn back the tide, you know, of these fascist parasites that want to, you know, grind us up for soil and grain or just, you know, push us off a cliff or something, if we can turn back the tide by setting the example, and that's what's going to have to happen to these people you know in the u.s and europe they're gonna either have to make a choice you know of you know being like the jews in germany in the second world war and just you know getting on the train to go to the oven or else fight and saying hey i'm gonna to die tomorrow anyway so i might as well fight you know and that's what the people here did they even in the face of incredible odds they stood up and they put their lives on the line for what they believed in they said No, I'm not going to let you, you know, murder my family or rape my daughter, you know,
1: Mm.
0: and they didn't. And a lot of good men have died here defending this, this republic and the world, you know, humanity. That's what it takes, man. I mean, the secret to happiness is to be brave, you know. It was a very, very brave thing for me to do, to come here. I mean, it was like, you know, jumping off a cliff, Mm. blindfolded, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I came anyway, because I believed in my principles and I believed in myself. And the, the point is this courage is the key to happiness because it is impossible to be happy if you are afraid. Yeah. So be sure. brave, man. That's, that's my advice to people. And look, dude, right now I've already lived longer than I ever expected to. These are the best years of my life. You know, I mean, how many, you know, I'm not even a middle-aged man anymore. I'm getting to be just like an actual old man. you know. <laughs> and how can I, and dude, and I had some great times in my life, dude. I did some serious partying and traveling and cool stuff. But this, this has been the coolest and most happiest time of my whole life. And how many men in their Mm -hmm. sixties can say that, and it's because I was brave because I stood up and and I did what needed to be done to stand up for my principles. So courage is the key to happiness.
1: Um, I have a message from Tamara, uh, who is in Greece. Uh, she's Mm -hmm. watching right now and she says, may God bless you and protect you.
0: Thank you. Uh, he does. Um, I say my prayers every day, and uh, I believe in guardian angels. So,
1: Russell, in front of you there is a crystal ball. What do you see?
0: I see, I see a whole new world beginning right here with Operation Z. I see, you know, the para- parasite class having their being defanged. I see, you know, it's starting with the denazification of, of Ukraine, and. Uh, you know the liberation. I mean, this this can be a turning point for the future of humanity, for a whole new world, if all the good people in in this world get together and do more than you know talk or hit like on a Facebook page or you know uh, you know whatever you know write a letter to your your governor or something. I mean, it's going to take more than that. It's going to take you know. It's going to take what the people of Donbass have done. And it's going to take standing in front of tanks and some people getting run over. And then the people that don't get run over go home and get their guns. This is a true, you know, it's, it's, it's really Armageddon. This is the fight for the future of humanity. And either the good guys are going to win or the bad guys are going to win. And the ones that lose are going to be exterminated. So, it's us or them. This is the chance right now is the time. I mean, there's not much time left, you know, the longer that we wait, the harder it gets, the older we get, but we can do it. I mean, don't be afraid. This is not the only life. This is not the only world. What we do in this life determines where we go next. And so, you know, believe in God and believe in, you know, the future and that, the good things that you do will come back to you.
1: Where can people follow your story?
0: Well, let's see. I got kicked off of Twitter back in about 2016. Uh, I got kicked off of, uh, Facebook about a year ago. Uh, I'm getting ready to get kicked off of YouTube. They've, they've just in the last couple of days, uh, videos that I've been putting up that, you know, you know, they say, Oh, it's community guidelines or something. It's just just mm-hmm. pulling it out of their ass. You know, they're just they're. I mean, I put up a video 40 seconds long, you know, basically just saying that Russia is liberating Ukraine. And, uh, they said it was inciting violence, got 150,000 views in like less than a day, you know, but, uh, so where you can find me is on V contact. And that's like the Russian Facebook. And it's a little bit of a hassle getting on there. But once you do, and if you use, you know, a good browser that has like the uh, translate add on, you know, then it's, I mean, because the, the quality of people and the quality of discourse on V contact is orders of magnitude higher than it is on Facebook. So, I mean, get off of Facebook, man. I, I hate Zuckerberg. He's a billionaire. So, of course, I hate him, you know. Um, get on to V-Contact. Uh, I'm on there. Russell, Texas, Bentley. I'm currently on YouTube. I have some uh, videos on Shoot, which is kind of a somewhat fringe uh, alternative to YouTube in the States. Um, I mean, but that's really tiny. I have a Telegram channel. I started a Telegram channel today. Telegram is also very important up and coming communication uh media uh russell texas bentley uh on telegram you can find me there and um i mean i do have a web page but you know i i actually i have two web pages uh one i'm i'm locked out of got hacked or something and then the other one uh i started recently but i haven't uh haven't really been posted to it too much, but I will soon. So that's, uh, Russell, Texas dot uh, com or dot info is my websites. You know, just Google Russell Texas Bentley and, uh, you know, all kinds of shit will come up, you know, both good and bad, but, uh, I'm out there, dude. I'm a information warrior. So my job is to talk, which I've been doing quite a lot of here with you and enjoying it very much, dude. I'm really glad to know you, Jeremy. Thank you for your work, bro. I mean, uh, You know what you're doing is defending the truth and you know that's one of the most important jobs there is these days so thanks to you bro
1: it's been an absolute pleasure uh i have to say thank you for joining me in the trenches
0: all right (laughs) my
1: name is jim this is jim warfare the battle of ideas if you enjoyed this podcast please
0: visit supportgerm.com.